You've heard of instant coffee. Some of you could probably use one at this hour, I'm sure. You've heard of instant oatmeal, instant winners, instant rebates, instant feedback, and instant messaging. But you've probably never heard of instant enemies until now. And yet, my brothers and sisters, we've all had them in the past. And in all likelihood, we will have many more of them in the future. So we have to be prepared to deal with them. Because of all the enemies we may have in this life, our instant ones are often the most difficult to handle. Jesus tells us in this Gospel to love our enemies. That, of course, includes all of them, whether they're the instant type or some other variety. Now, what's very interesting about this command of our Lord is, Jesus presumes something, makes a presumption here. He presumes that we will have enemies. He presumes that even the very best among us, even the greatest of saints, will have enemies here on this earth. Consequently, he does not say, love your enemies if you happen to have them. He simply says, love your enemies. That is, the enemies you already have and presumably will have in the future. David, as we heard in today's first reading, had an enemy in King Saul who was hunting him down to try to kill him. St. Paul, the author of today's second reading, made a number of enemies during his missionary journeys. We know that because he mentioned that fact quite often in his letters, most especially in his letter to the Galatians, but not, not exclusively there. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, had some enemies. Among them, the scribes and the Pharisees and the other religious leaders of the day who were close to him and close to his message. They were his enemies. Sometimes, of course, we may be the cause of the problem. We need to admit that today in a spirit of humility. Someone, in other words, might be our enemy because of what we've done, because we've sinned against them in some way. This makes us very different from Jesus. Jesus was perfect. If somebody was his enemy, we can be absolutely certain it was not his fault. That's not the case with us. St. Paul says in this text from 1 Corinthians 15 that we, will, that we all bear the image of the earthly man. The earthly man is Adam. That means we have within us the residual effects of original sin even after baptism. So we all have the potential to harm other people in pretty serious ways. So if that's the reason someone is our enemy, because we've intentionally harmed them in some fashion, then the solution is for us to admit it. We need to come to terms with our guilt and repent and seek reconciliation. That having been said, Jesus in this passage is speaking specifically, I would say, about those times in life when someone else's sin is at the root of the problem. He's speaking about situations where someone else's evil action has caused us to become their enemy. And situations like that can come upon us very quickly, can they not? As we all know, a person can move from the friend category to the enemy category in a matter of a few seconds. And I submit to you today that it's those people, our instant enemies, that we usually have the most difficulty dealing with. Terrorists like the late Osama bin Laden, for example, are definitely enemies. Enemies to all of us, enemies to our nation, enemies to peaceful people in the world. But they're rather distant ones. They're people, in other words, that we don't deal with directly and on a daily basis. 
Thanks be to God. For us to desire the good for them, which incidentally is what love is. To love is to make a conscious decision to desire the good for another person. For us to desire good for a terrorist, which would include his conversion and repentance and sanctity, that really isn't all that difficult. It might be a lot harder for us if we've lost a relative or friend in a terrorist attack somewhere in the world in recent years, but most terrorists are far enough removed from our day-to-day -day experience that loving them this way is relatively easy. It's much more difficult to desire the good for the guy who cuts you off on the highway or the person who makes an obscene gesture to you in a crowded parking lot. Not that that would happen here at St. Pius, of course. I'm talking about other parking lots all over the world. It can, be very, it can be very hard to love your own sister when she takes your toys or video games without your permission and ends up breaking them. It can be hard to love your brother when he connives with lawyers to take more than his share of the family estate. It can be very hard to love your spouse or your child when they lie to you about something that's really important. It can be hard to love your coworker when he steals the credit for something that you did and then happily gets the raise that you should have gotten. What makes these situations so difficult, my brothers and sisters, is that these are people for whom we've had good feelings, or at least no negative feelings. And then all of a sudden they do something to us and we have really bad feelings toward them. In effect, we become their instant enemies. So-called crimes of passion are committed by instant enemies. The violence that comes from road rage is caused by instant enemies. I often have people said things they've later regretted very deeply because they've overreacted to an instant enemy. It happens all the time. This is why we need to pray every day and ask the Lord to fill our hearts with his love, his forgiving love, his merciful love, his patient love. We need to do that all the time, constantly. But you know what? That's not sufficient. Prayer is essential, but it's really not enough. In addition to prayer, we also have to train ourselves. We have to train ourselves to think rightly about other people. That can help us respond to them in a loving way whenever they become our enemies. Now here we can definitely take a lesson from David in the Old Testament. Now if there's anybody who had a reason, a good reason to hate his enemy, it was David. Saul, as you will recall, was the first king of Israel. But Saul disobeyed God in a very important matter, and so the Lord took the kingship away from him, and he promised it to young David. That wasn't David's fault that Saul lost the kingdom, it was Saul's fault. But Saul hated David because of it, because he was going to be king, and he wanted to kill David. So he began to track him all over Palestine. He began to hunt David down. Well, at one point, the tables got turned, as we heard in today's first reading, and the hunter became the hunted. Saul and his men were asleep in their camp, and David and his men found them. Needless to say, Saul and his soldiers were like sitting ducks, or as you say, sleeping ducks. And Abishai, David's general, as we heard in today's first reading, immediately wanted to kill Saul in David's name. But David refused to let him do it. And he refused because of how he thought of Saul. He recognized that this man, as evil as he was, was the Lord's anointed. 
So he said to Abishai, Do not harm him, for who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and remain unpunished? Abishai probably wanted to say to David, David, with all due respect here, are you nuts? This guy hates your guts. He's out of his mind. We know he's crazy. He's been tracking you for days, and now you've got him right here, exactly where you want him. End it. Kill him. And stop the madness. But David, to his great credit, had trained himself to think brightly about his enemy. So he responded to him with love and mercy instead of hate. Now David didn't always do that with respect to his enemies, but he did it here. He thought rightly about Saul. He didn't simply pray. The fact of the matter is, my brothers and sisters, every person we encounter in our daily lives is also the Lord's anointed in one way or another. Every single person we meet on this earth has either been anointed literally by God in the sacrament of baptism, or if they're not baptized, they've at least been anointed with the image of God when their human soul was created. We need to train ourselves to see other people in this way as God's anointed sons and daughters, so that if they ever become our enemies, especially our instant enemies, we will still be able to love them and desire the good for them. Because remember what Bishop Fulton Sheen once said, and I'll leave you with his words. The real test of a Christian is not how much he loves his friends. The real test of a Christian is how much he loves his enemies.